Hey guys, welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montalan. I'm so excited about having a guest I have on today. But before I introduce you, let me tell you a little thing, a couple of things that have happened in the last couple of months. And you know how we like to make sure we bring you some of the latest and the greatest information on cannabis that we can. And, you know, we're starting to find out that marijuana, cannabis, is replacing alcohol for nearly half of the cannabis consumers during the pandemic. Um, this is a study that was done and um, published uh, December 31st, 2020, a Harris poll, which was released this month of 1,895 adults aged 21 and up who were surveyed about their consumption habits since the beginning of a COVID outbreak earlier this year. Almost half the cannabis consumers aged 21 and up have replaced or reduced their alcohol consumption with marijuana since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. And one third of those who use recreational cannabis prefer cannabis to drinking alcohol. 42% of them said that they either started or increased their consumption starting during the pandemic. And among those, 54% of them said that they did so to reduce stress and anxiety. 48% of them said they did so to help uh, them with their sleep. 45% of them said they replaced or reduced alcohol use altogether with cannabis. And parents are turning into cannabis, turning to cannabis higher at higher rates than those without children. 52% of those who use cannabis and had kids that were under the age of 18 said that they started or increased their consumption of cannabis since the pandemic. And while only 33% of those without kids said the same, 57% of parents reported that their use of marijuana has helped or replaced or reduced their alcohol consumption. And since the start of the pandemic, we've seen an increase in new consumers at our dispensaries with more people exploring cannabis. And that's from Mr. Joe uh, Byron, who's the president of Cureleaf. And there's some more really exciting information that's come out. One of which I think, I don't know if you've heard about, and, and some of you should know, but um, a recent study that was concluded in December uh, that was conducted at the School of Chemical Engineering at Yorknam University at Going Yongsan, Republic of Korea, stated that the SARS-CoV-2 M-Pro virus or uh, virus is a key enzyme, sorry, that's a key enzyme mediating viral replication and transmission. And we have seen that CBD inhibits and reduces inflammation uh, to the lungs and to lung injury of those who have had COVID. So it appears that we're starting to finally do a little research to understand that CBD and THC may individually help with you know, this battle against this most virulent virus that we've had, we faced in the last, you know, 100 years here in the country. Um, some other really unbelievable highlights that have happened is that the UN reclassified cannabis as a less dangerous drug on the 2nd of December 2002. The Commission on Narcotics and Drugs zeroed in on the decision to remove cannabis from the Schedule 4 of the 1961 Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. It has been placed there for 59 years, and strict control measures apply to this listing, generally discouraging the use of a medical for medical purposes, and it has now been removed from that list. Uh, the vote was 27 to 25, and uh, it was 25 in favor of removing it, 25, 27 in favor of removing 25 against, with one abstention, who is a person who declined to vote. And this is following the World Health Organization recommendations given back in January of 2019, the recommendations surrounding the listing of cannabis 
in the international drug control treaties. Mumley's has suggested that CBD with 2% or less THC should not be subject to international controls. And member states uh, also then rejected some of that for a variety of reasons, but some of them arguing that CBD isn't currently under international control, so there is no need for any action. But at least the UN is stating that we should not control CBD the way it has been controlled for the last 25 years. So that's just a quick update. And our guest today is a tremendous guest again, and I kind of thank her so much for being a part of the show today. Our guest today is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of the magazine called Double Blind, a biannual, biannual print magazine and digital media company at the forefront of the rapidly growing psychedelic movement. She's also a reporter and editor specializing in psychedelics, cannabis, drug policy, and mental health. Her work has appeared in Vice, The Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, and many, many more. Please welcome Shelby Hartman to Let's Be Blind. Shelby, thanks for being a part of the show today. I know we got a quick, we're under a tight crunch, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Montel. Yeah, how did you get started in journalism? I think I've always been a journalist. I think I came out of the womb as a journalist. <laughs> um, I have diaries going back to five years old. Um, and I just, I love talking to people like you and I love hearing their stories like you. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of different things. Started out at CBS News covering breaking news and wildfires and all kinds of stuff, politics and elections and done a lot of different things. This has been a heck of a year to follow politics and elections, even up till today. It's kind of crazy out there, is it not? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I try not to talk too much about politics these days because it's, we're, we're in such a volatile environment. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that would be an understatement, I think. <laughs> You're so divided. I mean, since you've covered politics for as long as you have, I mean, that, it, that, does it surprise you that we are as divided as we are as a nation? You know, um, at the risk of getting overly philosophical, I'll just say that there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of trauma and people, um, you know, people's people's ideological views are not always informed by, I think, um, necessarily policy, but just people are just wanting answers and they're striving and they're, you know, it's it. I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to engage. It's hard to engage in meaningful dialogue when people are are just hurting so much. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. And I really think that that is what um, is in large part driving these divisions that seem irreconcilable. And part of the reason why, you know, and I'm not trying to bring it back to double blind because double blind and me, but truly one of the reasons why I'm doing double blind is because psychedelics and cannabis and plant medicines present an opportunity for healing. And we often say at Double Blind that we feel that there's a deep connection between personal, communal, and planetary healing, right? If we don't heal ourselves, if we don't heal our own mental health, then, you know, it's it's going to make it difficult to have meaningful conversations with people on the other side of the aisle. And, you know, again, Double Blind is, is focused on psychedelics and bringing that kind of information to the fore, but this is science, and we're living at a time when science seems to have little value. Yes. Um, again, I don't. I don't like to make strong statements one way or the other about. I mean, I yes, I. 
I do believe in data and I do believe that research is important and I do believe in science. Um, but also as a journalist, it's my responsibility to listen to, to everyone and to keep an open mind. Um, so. And with that, in that regard, I mean, what do you think is going to happen this year? We do have a new president elect and a vice president elect who have, you know, made some interesting comments about statements when it comes to the cannabis space. Um, I've not heard anything out of them when it comes to the psychedelic space. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, there hasn't been much talk about psychedelics from politicians at the federal level. AOC introduced a bill last year intended to make psychedelic research easier. Um, and, you know, that's that's pretty much the extent of what we've seen. I think that, you know, it took a really long time for federal politicians to even start talking about cannabis in a meaningful way. And I think that we sort of forced their hands because millions and millions of dollars in capital started getting dumped into the industry. Um, but uh, these are topics that, you know, I think politicians largely don't want to touch because they have been so historically stigmatized. And truthfully, while psychedelics are my entire world, they're still considered fringe for most of America. Correct. So let's take a, take a minute. Let's, why don't we break this down a little bit? Because I think people who are tuning in today, especially Let's Be Blunt, would find it, wow, that's kind of weird. Montos talking about psychedelics on Let's Be Blunt, where you're talking about cannabis. Let's go back for a minute in time and let's take a little journey. Why don't you tell us a little bit about psychedelics? I mean, we know about psilocybin and what we get out of mushrooms, but we also don't know a lot about, or we've heard about what we get out of the cactus plant. Um, but people have no idea what you really talk about when you're saying psychedelics. And I think that, you know, just like there's a fear in discussing cannabis, there's a fear in discussing psychedelics. So let's see if you can dispel a little bit of fear for us. Of course. I mean, so specifically addressing your audience, because I'm imagining many of them are cannabis users and have had transformative, transformative experiences with cannabis. One thing that we always like to say is we don't really see these sort of um, these categories like cannabis and psychedelics, but instead we talk more generally about plant medicines and cannabis being one of them, but also um, psilocybin being a plant medicine, which is the psychoactive ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms, which has shown incredible promise for treatment resistant depression, for post traumatic stress disorder, for alcoholism, for nicotine addiction, for cocaine addiction. Um, really, what this is about is this is about the people, human beings who are suffering, taking their wellness into their own hands. We all know that. Um, the FDA approval process is a little bit backwards and that it favors large pharmaceutical companies who have the capital and the resources to invest millions and millions and millions of dollars into getting drugs through the FDA approval process and to market. Meanwhile, there are all these other plants that have been used for thousands of years in ceremony for healing that because they have been historically stigmatized by the media, by politicians, et cetera. Think of reefer madness. I'm sure you know, know, know the narrative all too well. They've been pushed to the sidelines. So now what we're seeing um, is that 
many people who have had transformative experiences with these plants, with these mushrooms are coming out with their own stories and saying, I tried the stuff the VA gave me, or I tried the stuff that my psychiatrist gave me and it didn't work. And I found this alternative and it changed my life. Additionally, we're seeing a whole body of rigorous research coming out of institutions like Johns Hopkins University, New York University, Imperial College London, King's College London, showing that people know what they're talking about, that this stuff really does have the potential to heal people from mental health conditions that the Western medical community still doesn't fully understand. Let's back up a little bit and go back to, you know, I know if you do some research on cannabis, you'll find that, you know, it's been written about as early as 3,500 years ago uh, in uh, uh, some Chinese pharmacopoeia pharmacopoeia, uh, talking about medical agents back then. And it's been utilized and discussed and written about in various uh, pharmacological documentation for almost 3,000 years. When did we start seeing, you know, some discussions about uh, uh, psychedelics forever, forever, Montel. There is prehistoric evidence of the ceremonial use of psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca, which is an entheogenic. It's a psychedelic brew that comes from the Amazon that's now showing promise for depression and addiction and a number of other conditions. I mean, literally, you go back to the origin stories of indigenous communities around the world, and you will find psychedelics. Okay. And so, you know, uh, like cannabis was psychedelic part of psychedelics, part of our, you know, societal use through the 1800s. Um, that's a good question. Um, I, my understand when you say societal use, you're talking about like West Western society as in well, North yeah, America and Europe. Western, Western society. Yeah. I mean, because you, yeah. you know, you know, we can go back to the early 1600s and the late 1500s and recognize that cannabis, hemp was used, smoked, chewed, used in snuff, used by our forefathers, used at parties in Europe, um, used at parties in the United States, used by some of our original forefathers and founders of this country. Um, you don't see as much written about Western culture embracing psychedelics as much as you do see but then again western culture would also be the native indigenous people of north america and they utilized the uh psychedelics i think as far back as we can remember right right yeah exactly so of course native american communities have used peyote forever um and that's part of the reason why the united states supreme court gave them the um, an exemption from the Controlled Substances Act and permits them to use peyote ceremonially protected under the First Amendment. In terms of, um, you know, Westerners, which in and of itself is like a kind of a problematic concept, we don't really see an avid use of psychedelics throughout um, the 1800s per se. There are some records of sort of like explorers, anthropologists type people going to the Amazon and other, you know, into other indigenous communities and quote unquote, discovering these psychedelics and using them. Um, But really um, the introduction of psychedelics to Western society, take note of the quotes, is um, we see in the 50s and in the 60s, 
um, around, you know, all the famous counterculture stuff around Woodstock and Timothy Leary and this kind of famed amateur um, mycologist, Gordon R. Wasson, who went down to Mexico and met this female curandera, this shaman named Maria Sabina, who introduced him to psychedelic mushrooms. And he came back to the United States and wrote about his experience for Life magazine. And that was really the first time that Americans became, started to become curious about psychedelics. And so, and it's kind of stayed in this fringe place, though we know that there were times that the the CIA, the federal government, the military even attempted to utilize them in some ways. They were trying to see if they could perfect it into a weapon. In other ways, they were trying to see if it enhanced, you know, uh, war fighting capabilities and those kinds of things. Um, But so did it just like kind of linger and, and, and stay there or? How come all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, we see this explosion where people are starting to recognize its efficaciousness? So, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And it's um, it might feel like all of a sudden it's coming out of nowhere, but it's it's not Um, in the 1950s. Um, there were already researchers and therapists who were exploring the therapeutic efficacy of psychedelics, primarily psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin, and LSD. Um, And this research continued throughout the 1960s, up until the time when Richard Nixon signed the Controlled Substances Act into law and basically shut down all of psychedelic research. And so when we talk about the psychedelic renaissance, which is what we're in now, which really began in the late 90s, early 2000s, we call it a renaissance because this isn't the first time that psychedelics have been used for therapy. They were being used for decades. That research was basically shut down. And then it was only in the early to mid 2000s when this prominent researcher named Roland Griffiths Um, at Johns Hopkins University applied to the FDA to do a study looking at psilocybin for alleviating depression and anxiety in terminally ill patients, primarily people with cancer, that, um, and the FDA approved that study, that we saw this whole new wave of research come about. Mm -hmm. But, um, But what's interesting is much like in cannabis, we have a whole group of incredible psychedelic scientists who were a part of the early wave of research and for decades have basically been waiting in the sidelines for the opportunity to research this stuff again and get it through the FDA approval process. And there's a lot of fear about, you know, another sort of countercultural wave like we saw with Woodstock and Timothy Leary shutting this science down. Um, We want to make sure that this stuff gets through the FDA approval process so that all the people who are suffering have access to it um, as quickly as possible. And let's talk a little bit about where, where we have at least started to identify where there is some value in, not just from a recreational standpoint, but some value in its use medicinally. What areas have you seen that uh, psychedelics have been impacting? Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that's important to understand for your listeners about the difference between cannabis and psychedelics, um, so far at least, is that the research is showing that cannabis in large part is really great for treating symptoms and for ongoing use. 
So for example, if you are a veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder and you suffer from debilitating flashbacks and, you know, a lot of the other terrible things that come along with PTSD, insomnia, stuff like that, then maybe taking an edible every night before bed is going to help you. Uh, But it's something that you probably have to continue to take in order to receive the benefits of it. Whereas with psychedelics, what we're seeing is that people do a psychedelic once or twice, and it actually can change the way that their brain operates or processes particular emotions. So the two compounds that we've really seen the most promise for are psilocybin, which is been given breakthrough therapy status by the Food and Drug Administration and will likely be legal in the next three to five years for both treatment-resistant depression and major depressive disorder, and MDMA, sometimes referred to as ecstasy, um, for post-traumatic stress disorder. It's being shown that this actually rewires the way that the amygdala, the fight-or-flight response of the brain, processes fear. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Oh, okay. So for post-traumatic stress, but how about that would be any type of post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? Um, well, not military, not just military, but. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They've looked at it in um, military, but also in people who have been sex, women who have been sexually assaulted. I mean, yeah. PTSD in general. But this would be something that you would not go through by yourself. This is something that you would go through in a guided way with a therapist, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So it's different from cannabis in in that way as well, in that um, it's, you know, basically what you're doing is you're tripping (laughs) with a therapist. (laughs) So there's an entire protocol around it. It's not just psychedelics are going to be legal, but psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is what it's called. And if you're going to go and you're going to have this experience, the FDA is going to require that you have a couple sessions with the therapist before in which you prepare yourself mentally for what this experience might be like. And you talk about what you're hoping to get out of the experience. Then you're going to have the trip itself where you are taking the medicine with the support of one or two therapists who sit there with you for the duration of the entire experience and make sure you have everything you need and that you feel supported. And then afterwards, what we refer to as integration, which is where you again, meet with the therapist to talk about what happened to you during your trip. And then um, they help you process any revelations you might've had while under the experience of the psychedelic. So you can incorporate those lessons into your life and live more fully. I look, I'm going to take a real quick break. I know you got to go in a few minutes. I'm going to come back and talk about how people can get more information about the magazine and about what you're doing. Let me take a break, pay some bills. This is really an exciting conversation. I definitely have to, well, I'm sorry for our scheduling uh, uh, debacle today, but what I'd like to do is make sure I have you back because I know that we're going to get a lot of people who are asking a lot of questions 
and they're going to want to hear much more from you. So I'm here today with Ms. Shelby Hartman, who is the founder, editor-in-chief, and co-founder of Double Blind. And she's a, it's a magazine, it's a biannual print magazine and digital media company at the forefront of the rapidly growing psychedelic movement. I'll take a little break, pay some bills. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Hey guys, again, thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of The Double Blind, a biannual magazine and digital media company at the forefront of the rapidly growing psychedelic movement. She's also a reporter and editor uh, specializing in psychedelics, cannabis, drug policy, and mental health. Her work has appeared in places like Vice, The Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, and many, many more. Shelby Hartman, thank you again so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So if people wanted to tell me, what, what will they get if they get a copy of your magazine? Um, well, here it is. I happen to have one on my desk. Um, and really, I mean, I know I, I'm going to sound biased here, but it's just a beautiful magazine. Um, we love my co-founder Madison and I love magazines and we love long form narrative storytelling. And so we collaborate with some incredible photographers and artists, um, to tell stories about psychedelics all around the world. So we write about everything from what's going on here in the United States, the policy and the drug development to, um, you know, the struggles among um, indigenous communities in the Amazon and Mexico and beyond to um, preserve their traditional use of plant medicines and more. And now, you know, people may read the magazine and say, geez, I want to try that. I don't need no therapist. I don't need no doctor. I'm going to do it myself in my own living room. I mean, what would you say to people who, you know, think that that's really their, their, the way they should explore psychedelics? I would tell them that they should consider buying our online course <laughs> called Using Psychedelics for Growth. Um, so Montel, you know, at Double Blind, we're very passionate about not creating a hierarchy in which, you know, we say certain ways of doing psychedelics are better than doing other ways of doing psychedelics. We have tons and tons of researchers and therapists who are going to tell you that. But at Double Blind, we're more invested in the theory of harm reduction. It's basically like sex education in schools. Let's not pretend kids aren't gonna do the thing. Let's give them the tools they need to do the thing safely if they're going to do it. And so with psychedelics, you know, um, firstly, I would say it's important for everyone to know, disclaimer, psychedelics are not for everyone. Not everyone is a good candidate for a psychedelic. Secondly, if you are a good candidate for a psychedelic, psychedelics are not a panacea. So some people think, you know, they're going to trip once and then all their problems are going to go away. That's not going to happen either. So don't, you know, go into a psychedelic experience hoping for that. And thirdly, just be safe, you know, and our class, our class does talk about this and it late gives you all the, you know, all the information that you need. But if you're on an SSRI, you might not be a good candidate. You, that might not be a good thing for you to do. If you have a cardiac problems, you might not be a good candidate for a psychedelic. And then most importantly, even if you are a good candidate, you got to make sure, like we talked about before, you have someone who's there with you, who you trust, whether it's a spouse or a best friend or a daughter or a son to sit with you in case you really feel that you need support during the experience. And I got to tell you, now I, I'm, I'm a child, I'll, I'll date myself, I'm a child I was born in the 50s and, you know, a child of the 60s and the 70s. And, and I got to tell you, I remember uh, 
when I was in high school, uh, I went to one of those, you know, um, underground parties that somebody was holding at their house and some butthead in the group dosed about, you know, 20 of the kids that were in the party. And I remember, you know, I think it's, it's everything. I'm, I'm just shocked that I didn't die that night. And I mean, I say that in this way because what people have to understand is that this trip that you were talking about is a literal, almost out of mind experience where you are somewhere else. And I remembered, you know, years later, this wasn't the night that it happened. Or I remember years later that there was at one point in time, I remember I, I ended up waking up and coming to and coming out of this, sitting on the garage roof of a friend's house. And the house was a few miles away from where the party was. And I don't remember how I got there, but then over the course of a couple of years, you know, past that, I remember at one point in time, horns and things blowing. So I must have been walking down the middle of a highway and not known it. So this is not something that you want to go play with. Yeah, I would I would agree with that for sure. And set and setting, my my co-founder always says she, she wants set and setting to be as known as do not drunk and do not drink and drive. Um, set and setting meaning you have to be in the right mindset when you take a psychedelic. And you have to have the right setting being your environment. You have to be in the right environment. So you do not want to do a psychedelic for the first time at a party where you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are also on psychedelics and might not be able to support you. Because remember, the reason why psychedelics are so powerful is because they literally go into your unconscious and they bring things to the surface you have not been able to process. And that's why they're so powerful. And that's why they're so healing. But if you've perhaps experience some kind of childhood trauma that you don't even remember. You don't want to be in a situation where you're surrounded by a bunch of people drinking and having a wild time when this is coming to the surface for you. This is really serious stuff that we're talking about. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, I know I got to let you go, but I got to thank you so much for being here. People want more information. Where do they go? Doubleblindmag.com. Doubleblindmag.com. And again, Shelby, you were invited back here anytime you want. I'd love to have you back because we could really, I had, I had 30 questions for you. I didn't get through any more than about three or four of them. So I definitely want to talk this through a little bit more. And I know people are going to be excited about getting more information about this. And let's hope that this year brings at least some regulation to bear that allows for more research. Yes. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Man. Thank you so much for my time. Thank you guys for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. 
And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.